Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Friday night. The Finsider podcast is back up and running. So uh, we're here to talk all things Dolphins. Whatever you guys want to talk about, if you jump in our live thread over on the Finsider, you can also hit us up on Twitter at the Finsider, and of course you can give us a call at three four seven three two six nine four six one. That's three four seven three two six nine four six one. Give us a call. Let us know what you guys want to talk about, and we'll be happy to put you on the air and talk about whatever's on your mind. Uh, obviously, right now we should be talking about playoff football, but um, yeah, that didn't happen. So let's pretend like we're not going to have to worry about that. So <laughs> we will talk about the playoffs themselves in a little while, but uh, for the Dolphins, everything right now is obviously about the GM coach and or the GM search and the offensive coordinator search 
So we'll get a lot of that talk tonight. Uh, we'll also probably talk draft, free agency, all those kinds of things. So get into the live thread, get onto Twitter, give us a call, let us know what you want to talk about, and we'll be happy to go down those roads. Uh, I've got James with me. James, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? I am doing well. And hopefully Duke and Keith will be calling in shortly to round out our four-person panel. Um, I y'all. So, hey, Duke. Duke, 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 Duke just stepped Duke in the room. Duke snuck in on me. Duke snuck in on me. So, Duke, how are you tonight? I'm on the, I'm above the ground, man. You're above the ground? Well, that's good. I'd hate for you to be in the ground. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, we everything we have to talk about tonight is probably going to come down to GM, offensive coordinator. Um, the Dolphins today announced their first two offensive coordinator uh, interviews and their first three GM interviews. So the two offensive coordinators are uh, – I just forgot Laser's first name off the top of my head. Dang it. Uh, Bill. Bill Laser, who's the quarterback coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, and Kyle Shanahan, the former offensive coordinator for the Washington Redskins. Uh, both are probably pretty good hires. I don't really see an issue with either one of them. Shanahan's offense probably would work really well in Miami. Tannehill is probably the exact type of quarterback he would want. Um, I know a lot of people are probably going to have issues with the last name Shanahan because they're going to see it as Mike Shanahan, and they're going to think that the game has passed him by and the failure of the Redskins and all that. But Kyle isn't his dad. Kyle actually runs a really good offense. Um, Clearly it didn't work this year with – how RG3 was playing. So there are issues there, but RG3 isn't the right quarterback for Kyle Shanahan's type of system. Um, Laser is up-and-coming guy. He's somebody that a lot of people like and a lot of people think could be a good offensive coordinator. He is really young. So he he's somebody that I think a lot of people are kind of surprised that he is – getting offensive coordinator interest this soon, but he, he's somebody who is actually really well-regarded around the league. Uh, Duke, you got any thoughts on either one of those two? Well, I want a guy that uh, can develop quarterbacks. Um, I think we kind of all – I think most fans kind of agree that Tannehill had outgrown the Mike Sherman offense. Um and we need somebody that can, you know, train him up a little bit, who knows how to, you know, just get a little more out of the quarterback position. Um, you know, we we watched him against the Patriots, and he, you know, he looked good that game. And in the last two games, now granted in Buffalo, you know, that was just a meltdown all the way around. But, you know, it was like he just didn't play – you know, up to a level that we expected or that we had seen the past couple of weeks. And so we need somebody that kind of uh, can can go in there. And, you know, I mean, he they made 
Nick Foles look like a, a pro bowler. So, you know, if he can do that with Nick Foles, I'm sure he could do that with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I so think I'm, I'm, kind of on the, I'm kind of on the Lazar bandwagon. Um, I think he's I think he's probably a really good choice. I've heard that McAdoo is still the favorite and that he is absolutely the guy that Philbin wants, but they're going to be fair going through this process to see if any of these other guys jump out at, uh, at Philbin and becomes the guy he wants instead. So I think right now it's McAdoo's to lose, but some of these other guys could come in there and win it. And he's uh, Laser seems to be Lazor, however you pronounce his name. Actually, um, seems to be a guy that could be the winner of this if he is able to wow Philbin. And he's done his interview. We'll see if he gets a second interview or something. So there, that's a potential. But those are the first two names that have come out as having completed their interviews for the offensive coordinator position. Uh, General manager, three are complete. Jason Light from Arizona Cardinals, their vice president of player personnel. Uh, Omar Khan, the Pittsburgh Steelers, director of football and business administration. And then Brian Dane, the Dolphins assistant general manager. All did their interviews uh, to today also. So, both the offensive coordinator and the GM front are advancing. We'll see where they go. Uh, obviously, the name that a lot of people were looking for came out today in that the Dolphins have requested to speak with Tom Gable, also, ironically, from the Eagles. So you could see both an offensive coordinator and a GM come from the Eagles, which would be an interesting combination. But... um I think I'll throw something out there. Yeah. I'll throw something out there that I've seen a lot of comments on. Um, from what I've read of it is a lot of people are talking about um, Donna Ponte. Mm-hmm. It's possible she could become a GM, but part of being a GM is, I mean, what was the, what was the big thing that people didn't like about Jeff Ireland? It was they think he didn't bring in enough talent or good enough talent. And from what we know of her, she is not a talent evaluator. Now, right. you could make her GM so that she can make football decisions, but at the same time, and have somebody beside, alongside her that could do it. But why, why have two people that could do one job? So my, my knocking against her is that, number one, she's really good at well, two things. Number one, she's really good at managing the cap. That is extremely important. Number two, she... From all we know, she does not have a huge, um, extensive, you know, base in terms of evaluating talent. So, right. you know, GMs are supposed to they're the, they're the guys or whoever that are going out there and going to college games and scouting, you know, scouting players. They're watching certain players. I mean, I remember reading about. Uh, actually, I think I was listening to Jeff Ireland on uh, an interview on the Dolphins website, and uh, earlier in the year, he was talking about how. They have a set schedule that he, you know, there's games that he goes to during the year, uh, college games that he attends, and there's other ones that his, you know, that his main scouts that they kind of branch out and do different things there. So that's something she would have to do, and we don't know that she can do that. 
And also, when you have, you can ask the Jets how they feel about uh, Tannenbaum, guys who are cap specialists becoming GM. They end up most of the time um, worrying about money more so than than talent, and you end up with, you know, bad teams that way. So, I like her in her position. I don't think she'd be a good GM. I think you're right. Um, what the the caveat I want to add to that is. She seems to be staying with the Dolphins because she has taken her name out of the running for the um, NFL VP of Football Operations, I think is the title that they were trying to give her or trying to hire her into. Uh, She has taken her name out of the running for that. So she seems to be staying in Miami. In what role? um, Did they give her more power? Did they just give her more money? However they convinced her to stay, she seems to be staying in Miami, which brings us to Omar Khan of Pittsburgh, who who seems to have been on that same side of the operation more than on the evaluating talent side. So I'm not 100% sure that if Aponte is staying, that you want to go get somebody like Khan who – would probably be doing the same type of role. So I'm not 100% sure on that. I mean, he may have more scouting experience than I realize, but just looking at his bio, that seems to be the side he's been on more. So I'm not 100%. Um, I do want to go ahead and welcome Keith in so that our panel is complete. Keith, how are you tonight? (laughs) complete. I'm, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Well, good. Good. I know you've been on the phone for a few minutes, but... We kind of have ignored you for a little bit. Um, We did talk, Keith, and uh, I'll go back to it now, and we'll come back to the GM talk. We did talk both Shanahan and Lazor, Lazor, however you pronounce his name. Um, And I I, I wanted to circle back since now you're on here. Any thoughts on either of them, how they would fit? I feel like Shanahan would fit really well with the Dolphins because Tannehill is his type of quarterback. So I, I yeah. just wanted to circle back and give you a chance to talk it. I, I think the only concern you'll you'll hear about Shanahan is uh, how he leaned a little heavy on the, uh, the zone read stuff with with Griffin, and I think that'll scare some people because while, while Tannehill is doesn't have Robert Griffin's level of athleticism, he's an athletic guy in his own right. He's someone who could run out of the zone read and, and do quite a bit of damage as a result. So you you'd like to see him di- dial that. Uh, down a little bit, but I mean, I like Kyle Shanahan. I thought that he was really good in Houston too. So, I, I mean, you, you don't have to really sell me on any of the guys uh, we've uh, sat down for interviews thus far. I like uh, Laser too, and I think that uh, I mean, you, you like what you like about Laser is the the connection he clearly has with with the quarterback because I mean, it's still I mean, the fact that. You, you you look at Nick Foles putting up 27 touchdowns and two interceptions this year, and, and, and for a second-year guy, that is unbelievable. And granted, he didn't start every game. But, I mean, he he's – for a young guy to really uh, be in a position where he can put up uh, such high-caliber numbers and really succeed and was within a hair of having, having his team in the divisional round – uh, this year it is impressive too. So I mean I don't know. And then McAdoo, like he, I showed up right around the time you said that he makes the most sense for Philbin and Philbin Watson. And I understand that. I mean in terms of what Philbin knows, I mean uh, McAdoo is cut from that same cloth. 
So, I mean, I mean the question is, I mean, people think that because he was the quarterback coach that, I mean, he's going to have some sort of Aaron Rodgers-like effect on, on Ryan Tannehill, but really McAdoo spent the bulk of the time in Green Bay as a tight ends coach. Right. So, I, for people who think, like, I mean, he was there with uh, – with Aaron Rodgers from the beginning, I mean, that's really not the case. And that's something where if you want to look at the, the people who really brought along Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you ultimately have to look at Mike McCarthy, which is humorous because Aaron Rodgers isn't the guy that Mike McCarthy wanted when he was the offensive coordinator in San Francisco. He wanted Alex Smith. So funny how that works. But so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think, I, I think it's a good hire uh, any way you slice it. If you go with Shanahan, I think Shanahan could do great work with Tannehill. I think he'll really uh, be able to stretch some of the concepts that were that Tannehill has uh, uh, really worked toward perfecting his first two years. I mean, he's, he's still got a long way to go there. And then um, I, I like, I'm intrigued by Laser. I think Laser's kind of kind of the wild card because you really you know what you're getting with the other two. I mean, Shanahan's been around long enough where, I mean, he, he's done good work in Houston. And really, I, um, if not for a, a really bad defense in Washington and a really un, unhealthy Griffin this year, um, he could possibly still have that job. It, it's not like he, he really stuck it up there. Now, I mean, right. the question is, did he get him hurt? I don't know. But I, I think that I, I like the candidates available. I, I'm not firmly opposed to hiring any of them. I think that's a big thing to remember on Shanahan also is we have somebody on Twitter who has been talking to both you and me, Keith, throughout the day, um, scared by the idea of Shanahan coming in because, as he said just a few minutes ago, the Redskins were 23rd in offense this year with a playoff team from 2012, and RG3 took a huge step backwards. And I think the big thing to remember there is RG3 took a big step backwards because he was never healthy. He shouldn't have been out there week one. His leg wasn't ready to go, and he played all year on that. So I think that's a big part of why Shanahan's offense didn't work there because, like you said, he relied on the read option to try to get RG3 comfortable with how he could succeed in the NFL, and with a leg that didn't want to work, it wasn't working. Yeah, it's it's certainly something to consider. Uh, and, I mean, the thing is, I mean, those guys ran the zone rate to perfection last year. I mean, it was unstoppable. I mean, and part of, the, part of looking at Robert Griffin's rookie season is understanding that why he put up big-time numbers. I believe his, his attempts were, were far lower than Andrew Luck or uh, I think he, uh, Ryan Tannehill. And I uh, no big reason for that is because he was running a lot. You know, he's, yep. not, th- he's not throwing it uh, necessarily on, um, say, like third down, you know, on obvious passing situations uh, with, I mean, that guy, he had low 4-4 speed coming out of Baylor. I think he's like a 4-4-1 or something. I mean, that's just, that's just a lethal asset coming out of the zone read. But as, I mean, it's kind of a twofold thing because Griffin was hurt this year, but the, and the NFL really wised up to the zone read. I mean, you saw. I mean, Green Bay. Green Bay spent an entire summer getting ready to to throw down on San Francisco's zone read, and then San Francisco didn't even bother to run it that first week. They just threw it. Right. So, I mean, you're seeing the shift back, and I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the gimmick that the Wildcat was. I think that there's 
there's more value in place with the zone read. And it's uh, something where you're not necessarily taking your quarterback out of the play, which is important. Oh, uh, there's the, the English chick. Or <laughs> on, the, on the show. Now, now the panel is complete. She's here. But I mean, that's. I would that's, imagine that's that when they inter- that interviewed Channing, that's fine. I oh. I, I'd imagine when they uh, when they interviewed Shanahan today, it, it, the discussion about the zone read was definitely uh, one of the prime topics. And uh, you know, would you would you try to further install that here? Uh, is that something where you you used it to maximize the talent you had out in Washington during uh, RD3's rookie year? Or is that something you're gonna you're gonna try to push as long as you got an athletic guy in there? So, right, that's just my my thinking. But I'm I'm pleased with the candidates. And then there's no nothing else to talk about. <laughs> no, there's plenty plenty to talk about. Um, we can go ahead and bring the Floridian debater on here who wants to talk about McAdoo instead of uh, Laser and uh, Shanahan. So, Floridian Debater, how are you tonight? I'm doing all right, guys. How about you guys? Doing well. What's on your mind about McAdoo? Okay, um, you're half right. I am talking about McAdoo, but no, I do no, I do not under any circumstances want McAdoo over those other guys. No, absolutely okay. not. I'm tired of the Packers, really. <laughs> I'm looking at McAdoo's credentials, and you see that he's the quarterback coach. Like everybody sees, now he's the quarterback coach. But you said it. He's the tight end coach from six years back. He had no part in making Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers. So I don't see why he has any reason to be an offensive coordinator. That's kind of like making, what was Tony Serrano, the offensive line coach, and now he's a head coach? Like, I, I know I've been saying that. I would rather have Sperano now over Philbin only because of the emotions and stuff, but it's still the same principle. I We're disagree because that's the way that most coaches move up. They, If they end up the quarterback coach, they're basically the assistant offensive coordinator. So their next position is offensive coordinator. He moved up to quarterback coach because he's ready to be the assistant offensive coordinator. The next step is offensive coordinator. So it's not the giant leap from offensive line coach to head coach because he's that's, already in that basic assistant position. That's one thing true. I want to I jump in and say here is I, I understand where he's coming from in, in terms of we already have a Green Bay coach uh, heading up the show here, and it, it's while it's not the same background because I believe he started as an offensive line coach in Green Bay, and, and then and then took over to, as offensive coordinator. But it, it's it's sort of the same principle in that uh, he you know he's not calling the plays out there. Mike McCarthy's calling the plays, and depending on who right. you talk to up in Green Bay, some people are happy about that. Some people I don't know if you heard during that game on Sunday, but some people want McCarthy to to real, uh, give up the play calling, kind of like when people were calling for that in Dallas last year, which is, is fascinating. But I understand what he's talking about in terms of it's one of those things where you understand that he's, he's been the tight end coach, now he was the quarterback coach, but what exactly do, is he going to bring to the offensive coordinator role if he's not calling the plays, if he's not a, just a straight-up X's, uh, X's and O's guy? And in this 
in case the O's guy. On the other side of that is you don't know. I mean, the guy, for all we know, the guy could be some sort of untapped genius. So I don't want to rule that out. But I, I right now I kind of feel the way that Floridian debater. I mean, do you have a first name we can call you, or do you just want to be called the Floridian? Uh, that's fine. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Floridian. So whatever. I'm I'm, I'm So uh, kind of going off that, if you had your choice, if you were making the tire, who would you take and why? Well, I'm looking at um, Bill Lazor. Now, besides the fact that he has the best name ever, I think, if you ask me, just Lazor. Just, yeah, you've all seen that joke. But he's he's the quarter. He was he was the quarterback coach, and he supposedly has a credential now. I'm looking at what was Nick Foles prior to this year. Nick Foles was a nobody under Michael Vick, who was struggling and still couldn't get the starting job. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about Nick Foles, the pro bowler. Now, I don't know how much of that has something to do with Chip Kelly, but the fact that he was the quarterback coach when Nick Foles made that jump kind of makes me think, okay, maybe he did have something to do with it. At least that's something we can look at as a potential. I agree with that, too. And and, uh, Ken and I have talked about this before, uh, especially earlier this week, but the appeal with Laser is that really um, all – all gimmicks, all all constraint type plays aside, really when you look at the Chip Kelly offense, it's it's kind of like a perverted version of the West Coast offense in in theory and in concept, and and it kind of just kind of pushes forward from there. And the thing you like about Laser is we got so tired with Mike Sherman and his sort of almost like prehistoric type West Coast offense, where it seemed like it was uh, a real archaic version and almost dumbed down at times, uh, you'd like to see something a little bit more uh, progressive. And, I mean, it, from what it sounds like, that um, Bill Lazer is the kind of guy who, who might have have his thumb on the pulse of that right now uh, since he's been collaborating with or collaborating under Chip Kelly. And, I mean, what, what he did with Foles this year was nothing short of miraculous. I mean, if you told anyone prior to the season that Nick Foles was going to put up those kind of numbers, they would have laughed at you. And I'm sure they did. I what? And I'm sure they did. People were laughing at all the. There was one guy. I don't remember his name. Um, he was on ESPN, and he was talking about how Nick Foles was going to be like the starter. He was. He's going to be a star. And they. They. They literally. They laughed at him because they thought it was crazy. Yet here we are talking about Nick Foles, the Pro Bowler. Or I don't. Did he make the Pro Bowl? I don't know. I'm not really paying attention. Uh, I don't think well, he it, did. I, no, he did yeah. not. I think he was borderline, but no, I don't think he did. Well, he was it's a tough conference to, to go to the Pro Bowl this year, uh, especially because he had, I mean, there's such popularity uh, going on with some of these quarterbacks in the, in the NFC right now. But no, I understand uh, where you're coming from on this end. I I would probably I don't know I, Shanahan and Laser are like neck and neck with me. I would take either, and I'd be happy about it. Both have. Uh, have uh, considerable experience in the in the areas we're looking for for an offensive coordinator, whereas with McAdoo, you're kind of you're kind of going out potential. So it's just kind of, it's kind of scary, in my opinion. I'm the the other thing that bugs me about McAdoo is that it keeps it keeps it it somehow to me it screams it's the same thing again because where did he bring where did Philbin bring Sherman from technically from Green Bay because that's what he was before. 
He's a Green Bay Packer. Now he's looking at McAdoo, who's also a Green Bay Packer. I'm, we are not the Miami Packers. He needs to look outside his little comfort zone. He's, if he's fighting for his job, he's got to take a chance. But you have to have an offensive outside coordinator that's going to work with your coach. If you're, if you're trying to suddenly throw an entire new offensive system in there, your coach has just spent two years working with the GM to get players that work in the offense that he's comfortable with. You're not going to suddenly see him come out there and every play is shotgun throwing it 40 yards down the field. He's, of course, going to look to people that he's connected with. That's how coaches build their staff. That's how they all build their staff. It's just like um, I saw on Twitter people were talking about how suddenly they think that Mike Sherman is trying to help pick an offensive coordinator for the Dolphins to replace him because they all tied to Mike Sherman. Well, Joe Philbin ties to Mike Sherman. That's why they're all tied to Mike Sherman, because they're all tied to Joe Philbin, too. It, of course he's going to do that. I, you don't pick – it's just like trying to pick a GM. That GM has to be able to work with a head coach, and they have to be able to get on the same page. You're not going to have an, a head coach that's going to pick an offensive coordinator that has absolutely no connection to him and runs a completely different scheme than the philosophical basis of that head coach. So, yes, going back to Green Bay is probably his comfort zone. And does that mean, I mean, does that mean that the offense is going to be exactly the same? Of course it doesn't. And who was the offensive coordinator for whom McAdoo worked? Not Sherman. It was for Philbin. He didn't run Sherman's offense. He ran Philbin's offense. Okay, I can roll with that. A coach is always going to try to go to the guys that he knows. And we all sit here and, I mean, how many people today have complained that the Dolphins are interviewing, um, I can't think of his first name, Farmer from the uh, – Ray Farmer. Ray Farmer. Ray, thank you. The, from the Cleveland, Pack, the Cleveland Packers. Cleveland Browns. Because, <laughs> Not the Cleveland Packers. Oh, my God, we're the picking Packers on the brain. Bad, we're, we're picking from a bad team. We're getting a GM from a bad team. Yet now we're looking at trying to get a coach from a top team, and we hate that idea too. We can never come up with what we want. We, we always find a reason to complain about everything the Dolphins do. As a, as a fan base, always complaining. Uh, well, yeah, well, losing a lot of that. <laughs> it just, it, it, you know, we, know, we all know how I mean, it is. It, it, and it's not, it's not saying that, oh, my God, it's horrible. I'm just saying that's the way we are right now. And part of it is the fact that we've gone through a decade of sitting here going, okay, we're always waiting for next year. And that sucks, and it drives all of us crazy. And therefore, we automatically assume everything that happens, everything this team does, we automatically assume is going to go wrong. So we always look for why it's going to go wrong. If the Dolphins went out right now and signed Aaron Rodgers, somebody would complain that it's a retread. Um, how many people last year were, or two years ago were complaining about the Dolphins going after Peyton Manning because he's broken and he's never going to be the same quarterback? Obviously, Don't worry. He'll, re- he'll return to that form sometime within the next two weeks, I'm sure. Uh, if I can jump in here for a second, uh, regardless yeah. of who we added offensive coordinator, the important thing to keep in mind here is that you're, you're – we can assume right now that Phil is probably going to stay since uh, yes. we're conducting this these offensive coordinator interviews and he's got the hand in it. I mean, we're going to see what he's made of this year. 
uh, as a head coach, as a mentor, developer, leader, all those things. Because right. uh, if you, if you're inclined to read any of the press going on, it sounded like Sherman had more control over this team than you'd like to see an offensive coordinator have. Right. It's almost like when Sherman walks around, he's got one of those like little like kid leashes, those little kid tethers, <laughs> and it's like he had Philbin on it. <laughs> you know, and I mean that's not the case though. Now, now it's a time where I mean this is this is Philbin's show. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't have old granddad sitting there calling plays for him. I mean he's going to have to sit there and he's going to have to make decisions. He's going to have to uh, evaluate his roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he comes out of it looking better. And I mean I'm I'm not in really high on Philbin right now. I don't know that I was ever super high on Philbin. Uh, James James can attest to this when we were watching that that uh, the the coach the coaching race two years ago. I know that Philbin was not our number one choice, but the thing is, like, I understood right. why we hired him, and you can yep. you feel like there's potential there. I think there's potential there. Now the problem is that uh, kind of expanding on what Kevin said, uh, McAdoo when he's out in Green Bay, he's technically. Uh, the quarterback coach for McCarthy's offense that Philbin organized, if if I'm understanding the the job titles and uh, tasks and responsibilities that were in place <laughs> in Lambeau. So, but I won't be surprised if Philbin comes in, uh, maybe plays Agnew more. I I'm gonna laugh if the next offensive coordinator comes in here and says, "Why aren't we using that guy?" Yeah, he's like, "Wait a minute, that guy's six five and runs a near four four." And he said, uh, please explain to me why we're not using him. I mean, the same principle, if we had a defensive guy coming in, like we've talked about, I mean, I've complained about the fact, I don't really like Kevin Coyle, not a big fan. Uh, drives me nuts on uh, what we did in the front seven this year. But you think, like, I mean, in a perfect world, like Wade Phillips comes in, who's, I mean, uh, a proven defensive coordinating of a borderline genius. I mean, when your dad really develops the, you know, the one gap uh, three four and um, comes through with that um, in the uh, in really the golden age of football. I mean, you can really you're a silver spoon type guy. But if Wade Phillips came in and looked at Deion Jordan, he'd be like, "Why aren't you using him?" Like, Wait a minute. So I mean, that kind of stuff is frustrating. But I mean, I kind of got off on a tangent there. But the the main point is that it, it'll. This is going to be a test for Philbin too, because he doesn't really have uh, any anything to fall back on in terms of familiarity. I mean, like this is his staff now. I mean, he doesn't have his his old high or English teacher or whatever uh, Colin plays. Yep. I mean, this is his show, and I mean, for better or worse, <laughs> we're going to see how it goes down. We're going to see how much of a leader he is. I've been off on Philbin ever. I've been a little skeptical. skeptical oh my God, skeptical. Skeptical. I can't say it right now. You know what I'm trying to say. Skeptical. My tongue's all twisted. Thank you. <laughs> I've been off on him ever since he supposedly shipped off the leadership council. You know what happened there. The Ever since, like, those guys just got, like, dumped off, and the whole Ocho Cinco, he did something wrong, but that turned out to be an okay decision because of the scandals and stuff. But it's like he he took out anybody who said, we don't like what you're doing, and that kind of, like, you're supposed to deal with that kind of stuff, not ship them out when you they disagree with you. That kind of bugs me. The only thing I'll say to that is, and I, I understand what you're saying, but the leadership council were also, what, three of the most expensive players on this team? Yeah, true. 
Uh, I think there was. I mean, and the thing is, and Jake Long, and I struggled to to believe that Jake Long wouldn't be here if his body didn't fold in on him. And for all the decisions, the poor decisions we made uh, last off season, I I hate to say it because I was Jake Long's biggest fan for a long time there, but uh, moving on from him was ultimately the right thing. And you saw that he ended up getting hurt in St. Louis, and it was the same old thing. In fact, I'd imagine that uh, playing on that fast track indoors probably isn't going to do him any wonders. Ultimately, so I think he and Jake. I think they end up if they hold on to that second overall pick. I think they end up picking another tackle. Maybe not there, but in the first round, I think they pick another tackle, looking to replace Jake. And maybe not this year. Maybe it's another situation where Jake plays left and that guy plays right, and then moves over to left eventually. But Jake isn't Jake, and I think that's why he's not here. And I think you're right, Keith. I think we made a big deal out of. as fans, we made a big deal out of the leadership council getting shipped out. But when you stop and look at it, the players that were on there were really expensive and were getting older. And the coaching staff from before Reggie Bush left were already saying, we think Lamar Miller is going to be the starting running back. And that's why they let Reggie leave. Jake Long left because he wanted, more, he wanted money equivalent to a four-time pro bowler not a guy whose body's breaking down. Carlos Dansby left because Joe Philbin came in and said, hey, I want younger, faster linebackers. And I think that I know everybody hates Philip Wheeler right now. I think that next year he's going to be better. I'm not going to say that he's going to be up to the level of his contract, but I think he's going to be better because he and Ellerby are now on the same page. They've had a year together to figure it out. They had a year in Kevin Coyle's system to figure it out. So I, I think that, yes, it sucked that he, he pulled all of the leadership council out, and there probably was some, to some degree a, hey, don't bow up to me because I need to put my stamp on this team. But I don't think it was to the level that I'm going to cut everybody that was on the leadership council. I really don't think that that's true because – we don't know all the people that were on the leadership council. We just saw the ones that were sitting in that room during hard. So uh, I, I agree to some degree that Philbin came in here with the, this it's my way or the highway type of attitude. And I think he needed to, because he needed to come in strong because I'll go back to my military leadership side where the leader always comes in harder than he really wants to be because it's easier to go from being hard to lessening up than it is from being soft and then trying to add structure. And he wanted to add structure to this team. Now it bit him in the butt this year when Martin decided to go off to California and Richie Incognito suddenly spun into this big bully and all that. But I, I think that there is there is a lack of leadership on the team right now, not necessarily in the, oh, my God, nobody is leading, but the guys you're relying on to lead are younger guys. This team is very young. Your leaders are Mike Pouncey, Ryan Tannehill. Um, LRB is going to be the leader, a new guy, brand new to the team. So you're, you're looking at guys like that. I mean, I really think the oldest leader we have is probably Cam Wake. 
after that, you're That's looking at a whole bunch of too. young guys. You're just you're just looking at a bunch of young guys. They now have another year under their belt. They'll probably take that next step forward in leadership. And for some people, and I know a lot of people see Philbin standing on the sidelines, and this is the thing that drives me crazy about one of the biggest complaints about Philbin. People don't see him get fired up and don't see him yelling and they don't see him emotional in press conferences and stuff. Yet, yeah, I've been seeing that bandwagon. That's exactly the same thing that Bill Belichick does. So apparently for the Dolphins to have a coach that doesn't do that is absolutely wrong, and he's a horrible coach because he doesn't do that. Yet we look in the AFC East at Bill Belichick and say he's the greatest coach known to man. So it's just it's funny that how we, how we perceive things. Because remember, with two games to go in the season – People were talking about Joe Philbin as coach of the year. I don't think he would have won it because I think Andy Reid has it hands down. But a potential coach of the year because of how he held the team together through everything this year. Then we lose those two two games, and Joe Philbin's a horrible coach. And we we are such a high-low type of fan base. And, again, it goes back to it's been a decade of this. But it's just – let it let it all play out. That's that's the biggest thing. Let it all play out, because well, I mean, and we're talking. I, I don't mean to cut it. I mean, we're talking. About, this is going to be a gradual process this year, and that you're gonna you're gonna see the uh, the new offensive coordinator come in. You're gonna see this general right. manager come in. Uh, we're gonna see this. Then and the important thing is how we draft this year, because there's a lot of things that we're coming into this year assuming that I think uh, can be can be fixed. If we if we draft the right way, I mean, a lot of people talking about Lamar Miller and what happened last season. Well, Lamar Miller is not the kind of running back built to run behind the crap line we put out there last year. That's it's not that's not his Neither that's not Reggie. his bag. What's that? Neither was Reggie. I like Lamar Miller. I don't think Reggie would have done any better than Lamar with that old line. No. I don't you think know, so. I'm Reggie. glad I'm glad you say that, and I'm liking you more and more as we're speaking here. Uh, I I agree. I mean, that was tough sledding in. I mean, I hate to say it, a big reason for that is losing losing Jake Long's overall presence. And people say, well, he wasn't ever healthy, and that's that's partly true. Well, I mean, that's actually very true. Uh, But part of that is, I mean, Jake Long for a time there was the best run blocking left tackle in the league, and I don't know if it was ever close. I mean, he was unbelievable. I mean, running to that left side in Miami was not was wasn't slim picking. And now, now we pretty much have to start over at both tackle spots, uh, potentially one or maybe two guard spots, depending on what we do with some of the guys on the roster. The only certain is the guy in the middle. But once you get yeah. that, Jake, just one. Jake being on the field changed Richie Incognito. Richie Incognito became a Pro Bowl guard, not because of anything he actually did on the field, but because sitting next to him was Jake Long. That's what we missed, not necessarily Jake Long actually out there blocking because you're right, he was injured way more than you want your number one overall pick in 2008 to be injured. But he, uh, he, his, his leadership and his presence on that field was what 
made him something special. Yeah. The protection needs to be addressed, and then it needs to be addressed some more. And I don't know if I've ever seen a sorrier zone blocking unit than these guys. Uh, I understand that uh, changing over personnel can take time, and with the whole, you know, Jonathan Martin uh, and then Richie Incognito starting to act like the the mayor of Toronto, uh, I mean that kind of stuff. <laughs> that that kind of stuff <laughs> creates problems. You're welcome. And uh, it just because re- I mean, with your offensive line, you're looking for a cohesive whole. And really, I mean, the Dolphins were anything but this year up front. So that's got to change. It's got and it's got to change it. You know, as many as four slots up front, depending on what happens. But once you see that up there, then you can properly evaluate the run game. Which I mean, we're all kind of in agreement that uh, we'd like to see someone else other than Daniel Thomas. I think. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then you see what happens with your quarterback. I mean, when you get sacked seven times up in Buffalo, the second last game of the season, um, that's that's difficult. And I mean, if you really want to draw a parallel, look at Matt Ryan struggling this year. That guy got his ass pounded. I watched that last game of the season. I think he was sacked nine times by Carolina. And I understand Carolina is a good pass rushing team, but no quarterback should be should be sacked nine times in the game. So I mean, and I mean that that has a, a direct impact on how a quarterback, especially these these rhythm tight passers. I mean that destroys them. I mean that's tough. So the Dolphins are going to really have to make a concerted effort to get stronger up front. So then you can kind of see how the process plays out. And then maybe we're seeing use of some guys that we didn't see before. And maybe Joe Philbin proves that uh, he's not the. He kind of seems like he has a key in his back in my opinion, and I'd like to see a little less of that next year. Yeah, you definitely hit it on the head. I'm not going to blame Tannehill for this season since he's practically on suicide watch with that old line protecting him. So, but let me. But since you brought up Jake Long, let me ask you a question. Um, did, was that last year that Ferrano was around, were we still running a power blocking? If Ferrano was in there, I yeah, it, it would definitely have been a, like a big on big. Okay, so was was Jake Long – I don't remember because it's been so long and I've only just recently started really watching these kind of things other than just watching the game. Mm-hmm. Was Jake Long hurt long that last, that that year? Which year? The, his last year? The last, the uh, last, last Verano year. year. Yeah, last because uh, that, the, actually shoulder. the final game for Verano was when uh, – because his back started to act up. That was shoulder back. Background. Yeah, he had back problems, and then in that last game against Philadelphia, I think he tore – uh, he hurt – and then I think he was gone for good in that New England game. I think his, he hurt his back in the Philadelphia game, and he left early. And then uh, I want to say on Christmas Eve in, in uh, New England, I think he tore triceps or biceps. I mean, it was it – was, um, I know he tore both. It was one of them. Okay, because that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that – Zone and power are very different. So I was thinking, if that last Ferrano year, Jake was still kind of Jake, did the zone blocking have something to do with Jake Long suddenly not being Jake Long anymore and then getting hurt so quick? No, I think that Jake Long, um, when healthy, is the kind of talent where he could have done either. And I mean, the one thing, when he came out of Michigan and some people were saying that he was a right tackle, I mean, there was definitely a contingent of people who didn't think he could play on the left side because he wasn't necessarily uh, fleet of foot. 
I wouldn't say that he was plotting, but because uh, he was getting the comparisons to Joe Thomas, and I mean Joe Thomas looked pr- pretty pretty quick when he came out of Wisconsin. You know, you know he moved well moved well for such a big guy. Whereas Jake kind of struggled when he went to the combine that year. But I mean, I, he proved that uh, he was really good getting to the second level. I mean, he could blow guys up. I mean, and for such a big guy, I thought he played pretty light on his feet. So I mean, I wouldn't say he was a knockout for the for zone blocking, but he could have done either. It's not like you'd watch him play and think like, man, that guy sucks. Yeah, I know. But it, but we all thought Tyson Claybo would have been able to come in and do whatever, and look how that turned out. That's why I was yeah. thinking. Well, I mean, Tyson Claybo was was a little bit of a turn uh, a turn style at times in his last uh, his last year at Atlanta. I mean, I mean, he's another one where I mean, because he's so big uh, that I mean, he's ideal for big on big type stuff uh, when you're really just going to a power scheme. And that's not to say he he can't do a, a zone blocking. Like if you're asking him to. Uh, um, if you're if you're really looking to fly protection over on your offensive line, it's not like that guy is like a complete liability. But he's not the first guy I'd look at either. And this is why people thought Jonathan Martin might work, because the thing is, I mean, uh, the skill set for his own blocking uh, left tackle is a little bit different. You're not always taking on uh, a guy one on one. I mean, there are times where if you call like a half line slide and uh, it's going to the right, then yeah, there there's a chance that he might be a big on big, but that's not nearly as big of a deal. Um, I think he just turned out to be kind of a um, a little wussy boy, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm it, think, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the thing. Oh, by the way, uh, we'll get to this in a second. I had somebody uh, kind of uh, misinterpret something I said on Twitter, and they thought I was I was calling for Jonathan Martin to come back, and they literally unfollowed me because, man, I was like, really, I didn't deserve that. But this is why when you you look at Jonathan Martin and you think, why did we even give that guy the time of day? It's because when you you look at a a zone block and a left tackle, he has some of those characteristics, and they thought that they could make it fit. Uh, Ultimately, some of the intangibles weren't there. Yeah. Uh, Did I hear laughs in the background just now? It sounded like somebody was snickering back there. No. All right, I've had um, my thing. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Thanks for calling air. And uh, all right, thank you. you. Good night. You too. Uh, yeah. I did want to hit up as as Floridian takes off. I did want to hit up. Um, there was something in the live thread. Let me scroll back up to it. Uh, Pocket Aces brings it up. The cart before the horse. The Dolphins hiring their GM after having a coach in place. And this is something that's all over the place, and you see it everywhere. All these complaints that the Dolphins are messing themselves up because they aren't going to get a good GM because he can't pick his own coach. That's just not the way it works anymore. I mean, the Dolphins – are going to be okay. It is not uncommon anymore. And I actually have a fan shot up. Chris Perkins from the Sun Sentinel made a good article about this. It's not uncommon to have a coach in place and find the GM afterwards. It happens a lot more than people realize. 
we, we've come to this idea that a GM won't come unless he gets to pick his coach. And that's just not the way it always works. Sometimes you have the coach. A GM will either retire, a GM will get fired, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be GM first followed by coach. It just doesn't. And I, I've seen it everywhere that the Dolphins are screwing this up because they didn't completely clean house and no GM is going to come. And I just I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's not true. The Dolphins will be fine. The Dolphins will get a GM. It's just I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, there well, are the guy who was putting out a lot of that information was Jason Cole. And I was, yeah. I was talking on Twitter about how how um, he's kind of a wet blanket. But, I mean, if I could ever imagine a guy up on a balcony peeing off of it on the Dolphins fans, it, it would have to be that guy. Because, I mean, he just, and, I mean, any time that we're, we're looking for a head coach, we're looking for a GM, we're looking for any sort of change uh, in, ter- in the, the front office or on the coaching staff, that guy comes out, makes a story about how we're screwing it up or how we've blown it, how Stephen Ross has his head up his ass and how we're going to screw everything up here. And, I mean, it's just, I mean, I hate to use this term because it's used quite often, but the, the narrative going on here, I, I'm not sure really fits what, what is actually taking place in South Florida right now. It also goes to, it, it's what, uh, the, the same thing is happening with this idea. And Jason Cole is a big part of it. And um, it's funny that you brought him up because I was listening to, it was um, yesterday, I guess, Finsider show from the guys on over at Dolphins.com, those Finsiders. Um, and, uh, Jesse brought up some point that, oh, it was that Cole was out there saying that he's hearing people are recommending that GM candidates don't go volunteer or don't go interview for the Dolphins job because there's no structure in place that anybody knows of and nobody knows how will the GM be a true GM. And Jesse goes, I, I'm not saying it, but that really sounds like there's an axe to grind there because you don't know what the structure is going to be. Nobody really knows. And if you go to an interview, you ask that question. Okay, who would I answer to? What powers would I have? Because an interview is not just sit there and get ans- questions asked of you. You get to ask questions too. So there was that. And then um, the other thing was, and I know – uh, James, since James and Duke have been on here just listening to us rant for a while, I know James saw it on Twitter today because I tweeted it and I think you retweeted it or you retweeted it and I retweeted it or something. But um, Jeff Darlington was talking about it today too. He says, I don't understand what's going on. There are two GM jobs right now available, basically. And you are looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins. And the Miami Dolphins are getting criticized because there's nobody knows what the structural, structural organization is going to be, and the GM may not be a full-up true GM. Yet the Tampa Bay Buccaneers job is seen as ideal, even though the GM has no power. The GM is going to not be a GM. 
because Lovey Smith's contract says he has all personnel decisions. So why are we playing this game of the Dolphins' job is bad because you don't know if you're going to be a true GM, but the Buccaneers' job is good because you're not going to be a true GM? I don't understand. Because you know you're not going to be a true GM. Yeah, I, it just it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me, and I think it's I think it is I think that there are a lot of people that for whatever reason have an axe to grind with the Dolphins, and Cole, you're right. For whatever reason, Cole seems to always have a negative view of whatever's happening in Miami. Oh, he pounds lumps on the Dolphins. I used to think Pete Prisco is bad. Jason Cole makes him look like a little boy. Which Cole I mean, is actually not associated with Yahoo anymore. He is freelancing somewhere. Yeah, so yeah. I guess his contract ran out, and he's not back with Yahoo. Well, I don't know who 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 uh, comes out looking better in that situation. Uh, kind of a a toss, but I, I don't know. I just I, all all of the the speculation is so rampant right now that it's just important to know. I mean, and you've seen a couple of tweets going up giving the Dolphins uh, organization credit for uh, attempting this transparency with their uh, interview candidates and whatnot. And I right. agree. I mean, the thing is, you're talking to all these people coming out saying this is going to happen and that's going to happen, and so on and so forth. And you got the Dolphins coming out saying, "No, I mean, we're interviewing these candidates." You know, it's almost like all these other media types are so far ahead of themselves right now that they forget that this team is just interviewing people. That's definitely all that's going on right now. And there's people that are critical, and fans and then media, of this idea that the Dolphins are going to release their list of candidates. And why? Why, why are we worried about that? I, I don't understand what the fear is there. The Dolphins are um, releasing a list of candidates that everybody's going to know already anyway because it's going to be leaked all over the media. And all they're doing is confirming people who are having interviews. They aren't saying these are our, these are the favorites, these are the guys that are going to be the next GM, this is the guy we want. They're putting out a list of interviewees. It's nothing unnormal. And yet for some reason because the Dolphins are doing it, it's wrong. So who do you, I, um who do you think ends up as the GM? So suppose you're making the, the call, who would you take as as GM? Yeah, yeah no we, we, we nominated we nominated dude. <laughs> um I'd probably go gamble um, just because of how vast his experience is and how much Pro- – probably gamble. He's probably my favorite if I'm picking just based on names. Um, I don't mind – or nah, I don't mind. That makes it sound like eh, – I'll settle for. But, no, I – um, another name probably that I would go for, I kind of like Mark Ross. Okay. I don't know. G- GMs are more your guys' lane than mine. 
What about you, Duke? Well, I'm going to say I would go with Gamble for one reason, and that's because whenever the draft rolled around and he made a pick, we could always say you've got to know when to hold him and know when to fold him. <laughs> and there it is. Oh, my Fantastic. God. Sometimes it's just that simple. <laughs> and that's why you know, right there. <laughs> you know what's disappointing now that Ireland's gone? Is you remember when we when we first started talking about doing the podcast and we were going to have the thing where, like, Jeff Ireland calls in? Yes. And you're, you're, you're going to sound like the – you were going to have the music from Silence of the Lambs playing in the background? <laughs> I, I, I want to say something about that whole Jason Cole mess. And I think this – to all the people listening to the podcast, I think this will help. Uh, I had a teacher in high school uh, who, he was, uh, I think he taught psychology as, a, psychology as a senior and had him for debate. And he said, people are entitled to their opinions if they actually have one. And what he meant by that was most people don't ever get enough information to formulate a true opinion on a subject. They just have simple prejudice, prejudices based off political information they know. So when people say, oh, I have an opinion on something, chances are they really don't have a true opinion. It's just their idea of how things go, and they don't have all the facts. Now, we talked about this a little bit the other night. The journalism today, at least as far as, as I consider sports journalism, is nothing more than trying to get page hits. It is about guys like Omar and Armando, they write crap all the time, and we joke about those guys, but we we can see that. They write stuff all the time. You know, I don't know if they're making it up, if their unknown source is just an extra voice in their head or whatever else, but they say things, they write things out there, they put things in such a direction that it causes you to react, and therefore um, you read their stuff or you know, even if you even if you don't like it, even if you don't like what they're going to say, you want to read it because you can go to some Sentinel and you can almost look at all the. If you go to their website and you look at all the Dolphins articles that they have, you can almost pick an Omar article out from the title because you kind of know his, how he feels about things. And he even said on Twitter that his bosses at the Sun Sentinel told him, he said, "I want to write." You know, I wanted to write stuff with more content, more newsworthy. And they said, well, that's nice, but we need more hits. So you write the same stuff you've been writing so we can get with it. Now, what all that leads to is a lot of Dolphins fans get upset because oh, ESPN or the media doesn't, you know, put us in a, on a special pedestal like they do other teams. Here's, here's the point with that Jason Cole stuff. He probably knows as much about the situation as any of us do. In fact, we probably know more about it than he does. But he's in a position where he's got to write and have web hits or page hits on his stuff. So he'll say stuff because he knows he can generate a reaction from fans if he says, hey, you know what, you're a Dolphins fan, and because your team sucks, you're going to screw it up because you always do. And what do Dolphins fans do? They react and say, hey, don't talk about my team like that, and he's got what he wants. So if you read stuff like that, if you see anything like that, always realize these people are just probably – saying stuff out of their rear end simply to get you to read their crap. And if you realize that, you know, it won't affect you so much. I like that. You can't talk about my team that way. You can't talk to Billy Idol that way. 
You know, he's, he's absolutely right. And Jason Cole's a former Dolphins beat writer, isn't he? Yes. Okay. He absolutely so, is. So, this, yeah, so there's no axe to grind there, I'm sure. I'm sure he left on completely Probably amicable not. terms, and he freaking loves this fan base. But it just right. seems like, I mean, I remember he, the day after the, the Jeff Fisher decision went down, uh, two years ago, and he came out with this piece where, I mean, he just destroyed Stephen Ross and talked about how nobody nobody wants to play for the Dolphins anymore. I, I, I mean, he threw Ireland in there. It's kind of like he took the uh, the Ryan Clark, uh, I guess, he's again, you'd say, like, narrative approach, and he just, I mean, he really went to town with it. So, but, I mean, I, I have to say that, and, and not to sound like I'm endorsing anyone, but if I... If I really need to believe someone in the news, like if Jeff Darling, Darlington's saying it, then I feel pretty good about it. Because I, I don't, I don't feel like he pulled any punches. Usually, I mean, like sure, he, I mean he'll speculate with everyone else, but he'll tell you when he's doing it. He'll let you know, like, hey, hearing this, hearing that, not sure any of it's true, so on and so forth. And then you kind of get like the whole yeah. I mean, you have to understand Yahoo. At one point, was putting out stories that. I mean, about everything, you know, everything from the stock market to sports to uh, uh, music. And, I mean, the stuff that they put out there is just so blatantly wrong sometimes. So, I mean, take everything with a grain of salt. Well, I won't have to go, so I'm going to offer uh, a couple of warnings about the new GM search. And we've all talked about it, but I'm going to say it for everybody listening. Number one, the new GM does not equal a magic pill. Uh, just because Jeff Ireland is gone, everyone hated him, does not mean the new guys want to come in and suddenly the Dolphins are going to be 15-1 every year. Number two, the new GM does not mean that we're going to be drafting fantasy football players all the time either. <laughs> so if, if you think, oh, Jeff Ireland's gone, no more offensive line in the first round, you're probably wrong. So just be just be prepared if the first couple or three picks this draft is – Offensive or defensive line heavy. While you were expecting, you know, you know, mad amounts of receivers and and running backs and whatever other you know positions you want because those are the guys. It may or may not happen. You don't know, but don't just expect that because I think a lot of people look at the whole Matt Ryan versus Jake Long, who we should take in debate, and think that Jeff Island just always drafts offensive line, and that's not true. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs this week, they were in the Super Bowl last year, and they have a very highly drafted uh, offensive line. Three first-rounders, I believe. So, you know, and I'm, I'm an Austin Safarian Jenkins fan. I'm going to go ahead and say that now. That's who I want the Dolphins to draft in the first round. But if they don't and they go with an offensive tackle, I understand. So with that, I'm out. Later. Night. I do. <laughs> I like we'll it. Miss you. And, you know, what will be scary is if almost if the new GM comes in and doesn't draft enough of the tackle, especially if there's like a good one available, then I'm going to be a little bit concerned because uh, I like how everyone keeps putting out this. This is a make or break year for Ryan Tannehill. I'm not so sure. I'm fairly certain that we we'd have him in there next year unless like he implodes, and I don't really see that happening. I, I think he he's too sharp upstairs to have something where where he goes into the season and just goes completely stupid. 
I mean, I think that was ultimately one of the big reasons. One of the big reasons why we drafted him is because you saw that. I mean, the um, the impressive mind, the football mind that he had, the ability to you know cycle through progression read, which is something not every quarterback can do. Uh, his ability to um, identify things. Uh, he, he, I mean, you saw this season. He had a, a nice understanding of the game. Uh, you always hear that that adage that things are slowing down for him. I, I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but I feel good about him. Yeah, I think that I think that you're going to see Tannehill around for probably a couple more years at least, even if he doesn't go out and have immediate success next year, simply because you're still going to have a new GM, a new head coach, um, or not new head coach, sorry, new offensive coordinator, new offensive system. It's still – there's still enough there that if Tannehill doesn't – I mean, if he comes out and just absolutely sucks next year, yeah, great, you're you're probably going to look to replace him. But if you are looking for – minor improvements or you're seeing him get better but not necessarily take this giant step forward, yeah, I, I think that you're probably right. He's probably safe for another couple of years. Um, yeah. I don't see why he wouldn't be. We got anything on the else on the docket to discuss? James, you got anything you want to discuss? No, sir. Ah, James is just being silent tonight. James was sharing all of those uh all those skits that they have on the ticket. Hilarious. <laughs> I sent one of them to Kevin. I don't know if he I sent him the Ribby Pulse one, I'm not sure. The same one that I have up on the live thread tonight. I'm not sure if he listened to it or not. I'm sorry. I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth hole. <laughs> Press the it's nine tough. punch. <laughs> They they tear on they they uh, they make fun of Jerry Jones really well. Um, yeah, the fake Jerry the fake Jerry is so good that the Fox pregame show has played a couple of their skits in the past. <laughs> we got to go listen to more of those later on. Uh, who you got this weekend? I think that Manning's going to pull it out. Um, I know a, a bad matchup. He's I know never a lot been of good against San Diego. I I know, but I know a lot of people are stuck on this. It's cold weather. I think that he's going to be fine. I think that he's going to he's going to put it together simply to show people everybody who doubted him. He's going to try to torch San Diego this weekend. Yeah, he's um, got so many de- detractors. Uh, is there any chance? Uh, New Orleans hangs in there during their game, or do you think that I mean, despite everything you're hearing right now, that they're they're just going to get a repeat of what happened a couple of weeks ago, and they're just going to get eaten alive? I really think they're going to get eaten alive. I think uh, I say that, and I know that it's Drew Brees, and I know there's a chance that he could put it together. Um, but I Seattle is Seattle is impressive, and I just don't see a way that he's, they aren't going to torch 
St. or New Orleans in um, in Seattle. If it were in New Orleans, it would be a different story. But the fact that it's in Seattle, I, I don't think that they have much of a chance. Well, New Orleans secondary is banged up too. You know that's yeah that's not and I think Percy Harvin's going to play, which I don't I don't expect Percy Harvin to make like the biggest impact. But I mean that's that's just not a good recipe for success if you're New Orleans to have to go up there. Uh, I don't know if Keenan Lewis is going to play. Uh, your your offense didn't look outstanding last week. Uh, that's going to be interesting. And then the the other games, Indianapolis and New England. That game, it's going to be rainy. It's New England is not Super Bowl bound, dominating people. New England. Um, I don't know. That game, that game could go either way. I don't, I don't like Andrew Luck. Uh, I, I'm definitely an Andrew Luck hater, just because I can be. Uh, I, I do think he's really. I don't think he sucks or anything, but. Uh, just the the way the Colts pulled off that entire tank job just still uh, doesn't sit well with me. That said, though, I I got Indianapolis this weekend. This game feels like a like a Patriots letdown in my opinion. I don't like I, I would not be surprised at all. I really wouldn't. Um, you have to wonder. I mean, it, with all the injuries Kansas City suffered last week, if they don't lose Brandon Flowers, they probably still win that game. Seemed like that was the injury that broke the camel's back. And then, um, oh, with San Francisco and Carolina, that should be a good one. That should be a really good game. I'm taking San Francisco on the road. Uh, I probably am too. I know Carolina I, beat them earlier this season uh, at the stick, but I don't know. I, I just, I think that. Playoffs are a different beast. I think that 49ers really picked up some confidence by by winning uh, a game that so many teams would lose last week at Lambeau. So. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm cash. I got nothing else. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's probably pretty much it. Um, obviously, the Discussion on the blog is going to be very GM, front office, offensive coordinator heavy for a couple weeks probably. Um, the Forever. The, <laughs> the playoffs will take their place. The Senior Bowl is coming, which again goes back to GM, offensive coordinator heavy type stuff. So, I'm sorry, that's just the way it's going to be. I know that people are going to get sick of reading GM stuff because you can only read it so often and so much, but that's what the Dolphins are in right now. So we will be back hopefully next week, I think. I'm not 100%, but we should be back next week with another podcast. And uh, we will talk to you all then. Keep reading and uh, keep talking to us on the blog. Thanks, everybody, and good night. Good night. Thanks. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like T-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Laser cat T-shirts? Check. 
Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.